Every year, we highlight part of our vision statement to reach our world through our global outreach series. This year, we're looking at the theme through the lens of Jonah, an Old Testament prophet God sent to a people who were far from him. Join us for this three-week series as we learn about God's heart for those who don't know him and how we can respond in our world today. Well, hey, as you can tell, we're starting a brand new uh, series today. And uh, what we're going to do each week, because the theme of our series is global outreach, we're going to share with you some stories and testimonies each week from our global outreach partners around the world and different things that are happening. So the one you just heard about is King of Kings in Israel, uh, mostly based, uh, or at least their their main church uh, congregation is in Jerusalem. And what we love about this, uh, good friends and another great Duke fan. Some, how do you, I mean, isn't that amazing? You go all the way to Israel and you still find a Duke fan. It just shows wisdom is everywhere. Okay, let me get back to being spiritual here. So uh, what's really cool is that we do believe that God still wants the Jewish people to come to know Jesus as the Messiah. And we also believe that the only solution to peace is not political, it is Jesus. And so not only are they reaching Jews uh, for the name of Jesus, they're also reaching Palestinians and the Arab world there. And so the good news for you, because this is one of our global outreach partners, is whatever you're a part of here and every time you give here, you're changing lives all the way around the world. And so, like I said, we'll be sharing those testimonies with you each week and get to see different things that are happening. So today we are beginning this uh, new series and we like to do this every single year, always talking about what God left us on the earth to do. And before we get any further in, I'm gonna start with a question. Have you ever had to do something you didn't want to do? Yeah, that's a silly question, isn't that? I get really funny looks. Sometimes you look at me like I'm stupid. This time you're looking at me like, of course, obvious. You know, it's always like that because we've all got those things like the dentist, come on, who loves the dentist? Yep, okay, everybody look around. We know who the weird people in the church are. There you go. Just help identify them. Nobody loves a dentist except for three people. Um, and uh, how about work? Anybody love going to work? Okay, some of you need new jobs. God bless you. Um, school, any young people, do you love going to school? Maybe don't love going to school? One of my children right now is going through this little uh, phase. I hope it's a phase because God bless it. It needs to end. Um, where every day from the time I start to wake him up until the time I shove him out of the car in the parking lot, he's telling me how much he hates school. And I'm thinking, first of all, this is your only job. Like, you don't pay the mortgage, you don't buy the groceries, you barely cut the grass, and you have to fight with your brother over that one. I mean, so seriously, man, just go to school. But he every day gets up as though it's like a brand new argument. I hate school, it is so meaningless, and all these different things. He's doing it with such vigor that it's as though he actually thinks this is going to change my mind. I'm thinking, you don't even have an original thought. I mean, for hundreds of years, kids have hated school. If you want to get my attention, like, be creative. Sorry to tell you, you're going to school. Anyway, so we, we all have these things we uh, have to do we don't want to do. When I was a kid, one of the things that used to be a tradition here in the South was every Sunday afternoon you would get in the car and just randomly go to people's houses and knock on the door. Anybody grew up with that? You know what I'm talking about? And uh, so my mom liked to go to the pastor's house. And I'm thinking, we just saw the man. Like, seriously, give the man a break. So if you were not one of the families that got in the car and went to everybody's house, you had to stay in your church clothes because you never knew who was coming to knock on your door. Your job was to stay dressed up, make sweet tea, and uh, some pound cake. 
And so my mom just liked to go and visit people. And by the way, just for the record, I am glad this tradition has died. When I leave here, please let me go home and watch my miserable NFL team lose every week. At least that, that's just that's how I get through the day. So please do not revive the tradition of knocking on the pastor's door. If so, please look up Kent Fancher's address. <laughs> and not mine. But anyway, back to the point. So I would have to go, and I mean, my age at this point was single digits. And it might have just been my perspective, but I'm pretty sure my pastor was 101. At least that's, again, how I thought of it. And so we would go to his house, and, and they had armchairs that were made of vinyl and wood. Apparently, they didn't want people to stay very long. And, and they had this Victorian couch. You know the kind no one ever leans back in, but you sit up prim and proper, and you wonder, why did they ever make these things? They were never comfortable. And, and in the sitting area, they had linoleum floors. There was no TV, there were no toys, and young people, this is before you carried this self-entertainment device in your pocket and could play Fortnite. This is back in the day, as a child, you had to behave or get in trouble when you left, and you actually had to just sit there and look interested as adults talked about things you didn't even understand, right? You know what I'm talking about? I hated every single minute of it. So, look, we've all got those kinds of had to do, still have to do. Some of you are going to wake up tomorrow and, and feel like you're doing them. Has God ever told you to go somewhere or do something you didn't want to do? How did you respond to that? And if you're still having trouble responding to that, good news. We're going to have a, a theme person for our series, Global Outreach, this year. It's a guy in the Bible who also had a lot of difficulty actually going where God told him to go and doing what God told him to do. So maybe we'll learn a thing or two, be inspired, maybe feel a little bit better about ourselves but there's definitely something that we can get out of this. The guy's name is Jonah, one of the most famous characters in the Bible. We learn about him from a book that has his name. It's only four chapters, and there are only eight scenes in this whole book. So if we were filming a movie, we would only need like eight camera angles for the entire story. You and I are going to spend only three weeks on it. So four chapters, eight scenes, three weeks. Everybody ready for this? If you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. If you can find it, it's in the middle of a bunch of those little minor prophet books in the back of the Old Testament. But if not, don't worry, it's on the screen. We're going to start right at the beginning. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And I just want to pause and highlight the word go. It's a very, very important word. Matter of fact, we call all of our missions here, our local missions, our international missions, everything global outreach. And we love the initials that that comes to, go. And it reminds us of like the, the reason we're on the earth. That's the reason we do this series every year. And so matter of fact, around Grace Life, even as the staff or the global outreach uh, leaders, we will all just say go. Hey, what are we doing for our go project? Hey, what are we doing for our go series this year? And the reason that I love that is because, if you follow this, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Jesus spoke mostly in Aramaic. It all got translated into Greek. And so no matter which language, every time it, it comes out in the end, it's the exact same word. The same word is used in Greek from all of those. What that means is when God told Jonah to go, it's the same word that Jesus used when he told us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so I, I love just being reminded there's a reason we're on planet Earth, and that's what this is all about. But now let's get back to the other part of that. He told him to go to Nineveh. Now, that's irrelevant to you and me. We're all like, cool story. But that meant something to Jonah, and it wasn't good. 
Matter of fact, Jonah's probably falling off of his chair at this moment if he was in one thinking, excuse me, no way did you just say that, God. You can't possibly mean to go to those people. Matter of fact, you just said their evil has risen up. I'm sure it has. Have you heard of these people? They are the worst. So just to make sure we set the context a little bit, Jonah was one of the Israelites, one of God's people. Matter of fact, he was actually a prophet of God and spoke to the Israelite king. So like, he knew how to hear God's voice and, and he knew who God was and he was used to living around godly people. Nineveh was a city uh, for the Assyrian people. And I'm gonna keep this PG today by just telling you they were horrible. They were barbarous. They were some of the cruelest, the most torturous people on the earth, what they did to the people who captured them, we're not even going to begin to address. But you can understand why Jonah would think, these are evil people. These are, they don't deserve to have me go there. They don't need to hear about you. Matter of fact, you just need to like throw something down from heaven and just burn the whole city down. That's all they need. You can also understand why Jonah would want to keep his distance in order to keep his head because that's the way they treated people who they conquered or who were very, very different. And so Jonah, of course, wanted them judged and destroyed. God, on the other hand, wanted to show them mercy. So what do you think Jonah did? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. I'm just, I got the point. Anybody else got the point? He went to Tarshish. By the way, try to say that three times fast. This is one of the most difficult passages for me to ever preach and get right. But anyway, he went to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And, and just for the nerd moment, for all of you that care, where he was supposed to go to Nineveh was about 500 miles to the northeast. And instead, he chose to try to go to Tarshish, which was two thousand miles due west in other words in his known world at the time he tried to go as far in the opposite direction he could possibly achieve we were talking about this this week one of the staff members said so that would be like us most of us are here in the southeast and and, and that would be like us if God told us to go to Boston instead we went to Los Angeles and I said yes if only you didn't know there was a Japan you see, of course, he's a little before the time of Christopher Columbus, or otherwise he would have gone further. The point is he wanted to get as far away from these people and what God was telling him to do as he possibly could. And 2,000 miles was the end of the Mediterranean Sea. It's about Spain today. He just didn't think there was anywhere further to go. So that's what he's after. But let's get back to the funniest phrase in all of that. <clears throat> Fleeing God's presence. <laughs> Thank you. You can't. And on top of that, keep in mind who Jonah is. He's a prophet of God. He hears God's voice. He knows who God is. He knows the greatness of God. He's grown up among the people of God. Nowhere in the story does he ever say, I'm not really sure if God was speaking. I don't know. I'm a little confused. No, he's very, very clear he knows who God is and what God said. He understands the presence of God. God is everywhere. Matter of fact, that's one of the great truths about our God, the God we worship, is that he's omnipresent. He is everywhere. There's nowhere you can go and get away from him. Psalms, David, King David even says, if I go into the grave, you're there. Like, there's nowhere I can go and get away from you. And, and so Jonah should have known that. But here's the reality. You and I live just like Jonah. Because we know we can't get away from the presence of God, but we live like we can. I mean, think about this. How many times have you done something <clears throat> that if I were to ask you, would you do that if an angel were standing beside you? We'd say, well, of course not. Well, but God was there. 
We know God was there. We go, well, you know, I know the pastor says that, and I'm sure it's somewhat true, but it is a really big world. God's got a lot to keep up with. There's like about 8 billion people. I mean, the climate's falling apart. The planet's falling apart. Politicians are crazy. The world is a mess. I'm betting God couldn't see what I was doing. Really? Let me tell you, one of the best things that the Bible tells about our God is that he's personal. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He sees you're coming in and you're going out, and yet we somehow still live like Jonah. Like, well, maybe God's presence isn't quite in my living room tonight. <laughs> Let's get real. But actually, you want to know the truth? Jonah did reveal a great truth. And that is, if you flee God's purpose, you are very likely to flee God's presence. Now, I didn't just contradict everything I said, so follow this. When we talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, God being everywhere, we're talking about his being. There is nowhere that God is not. Everywhere you go, he is there. So we're talking about God's being. But there is a big difference between God's being and God's doing. You see, what you can do is get away from a place where God is moving. And what Jonah was after was getting away from a place where God might actually show his mercy to people that he didn't like. But we'll come back to that later in the series. But you and I can find ourselves in a place where we're saying, God, I don't feel like you're there. And yes, God is there. He's, his being is there. You've been to a party where you didn't talk to someone at the, entire, the party the entire night. You, you, you knew they were there. It might have been a, a Christmas work social. You knew they were there, but you don't really like them. You don't talk to them. You see, God is there, but are you seeing God move? And so the question that we have to ask is, has God told us to do something or to stop something? Has God given you a purpose for your life? And you're running the other direction from all of it. And then you say, but God, I don't feel like I hear your voice. God, I don't feel like you're answering my prayers. God, I mean, these stories of you parting the Red Sea, why aren't you doing that in my life? Well, because you're in God's being, but not in God's doing. That's just for free. Let's keep going. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And I'm going to throw out just fun little insights because I love the way that the Bible shares all these little thoughts with us. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Did you notice that means that even nature obeys God? The wind obeys God? But humans are funny. We think we don't have to. Can any of you hurl a great wind upon the sea? Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. What a picture. Think about this. Jonah, the only one who had all the answers, was fast asleep in the midst of a storm that was devastating everyone, threatening all of their lives. I think it's a picture of the church today for the most part. We live in the midst of people who are suffering. They're lonely. They're hurting. They're lost without the love of God. And we're the people that have the answers and the truth. And yet we're asleep in their very midst. They are dying from the storm and it doesn't seem to have our attention. Maybe we're not asleep, but at the very least we're sleepwalking. <clears throat> so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Again, just another neat little insight that gets my attention as I read this. 
Even people who do not know God and who do not worship God have figured out there is divine control of all of their circumstances, even down to the dice they roll. What if Christians ever figured that out? What if we ever started asking, so hey God, what would you like me to throw out of the boat if this is what's going on in my life? Then they said to Jonah, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are? <laughs> They're searching for any answer like, why? There's got to be something wrong with you, man. What is up? And Jonah said to them, well, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. <laughs> Boy, this got to go in. He did not do real well on his IQ test here. You fear the God that made the land and the sea, and you thought you could get in a boat and somehow get away from him. Okay, well, no one had said you had to be really smart to make the Bible. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you've done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Usually people don't flee the presence of the Lord unless they've done something really, really wrong. So then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. So Jonah said to them, well, pick me up and, and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. It, it's my fault. Check out their response. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Are you kidding me? Jonah just told him, it's my fault. There's a great God that's in charge of everything, and he is bringing this storm upon you because I'm disobeying. It's all my fault. The only way it'll end is if you throw me into the ocean, although it's a big storm in the middle of a sea, I'm going to die. But if you will throw me in, everything will be good for you. And all of these people, the story is already made very clear, do not know God, are not followers of God. They chose to demonstrate mercy, to try and save the man who knew of God's love and mercy and refused to show it to people like them by running the other way. Isn't that a little baffling? But if we wanted to be really honest and look in the mirror, we would be able to say the truth is, as we look around the world today, it's not always the people going to heaven that show the most mercy. Matter of fact, it's quite often the opposite. Because it's quite often and sadly true, if we're going to be honest with ourselves about ourselves, it's the people going to heaven that are really good at pointing out how everybody else is getting all the rules wrong. It's called judgment, not mercy. So therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, <clears throat> and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleases you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Isn't this crazy? Better than Jonah, a prophet of God grew up in the nation of God, a man who hears God's voice, knows God's power, knows God's love and mercy. Better than Jonah, they responded. Jonah says, no, God. They say, yes, God. This whole, what they just did was recognize he's God. First of all, God, we're, we're repenting of killing this man before we even do it. Please don't hold it against us. 
You're in charge, and he's guilty. Please don't hold it. I mean, they're actually praying and repenting of sin before they commit it. And then it says, then they offered a sacrifice. That was the way of worship. And then it says that they made a vow. That's a life promise. I don't know what it was for each of them, but what each of them did was say, God, this is going to change in my life because I've now met you. Wow. Somebody who didn't know God making that kind of a change while the one who did know God was running the opposite direction. So the question we have to ask in response, I mean, I hope that you've got a whole lot of little insight out of this. I hope you've been challenged already to say, oops, I need to work on that. But the question that we're gonna address together today is why do we run from Nineveh and miss out on God's purpose? Why do we run from Nineveh and miss out on God's purpose? Because we still do this today. And as we answer the question, we have to answer this question in two arenas or two contexts for our lives. You see, we have a group answer and then we have an individual answer. And when I say that we have a group answer, what I mean by that is if you are someone who says, I believe I'm going to heaven, Jesus Christ died for me, I am forgiven, he is my Lord and Savior, then that means that you are a part of a spiritual family on the earth that is known as the church. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the head of the church, we're the body. In other words, whatever he says, we do. We as the arms and the hands and the feet, we carry out his orders. And so he left us here and said, go and make disciples. That's, that's what we are here to do. So the question is, if we know that that's what he put us here to do, if Jesus told us to go and make disciples, then why do we as a group, as the church on planet earth, as his body, why do we run from Nineveh and go the other way? It turns out the answer is the most simple misunderstanding but it's pervaded our beliefs and our ways of living for thousands of years i'm going to share with you one passage but it's just an example because the truth is this little sentence i'm about to share with you shows up in the bible many many times spoken by many different people i'm going to share just one of you where the prophet jeremiah said it and he says i will give them a heart to know me i will be they will be my people i will be their god and like I said, this shows up all throughout the Bible, and so we begin to believe that this is the point, that, that I'm going to know God, and, and then he's going to say that I'm his people, and I'm going to say he's my God, and this is what it's all about. And the people of the Old Testament understood that. And just like Jonah, they thought that's what it was all about. It is all about us. We are the people of God. We will know God. And we will know God better than everyone else. And because we are the people of God and he is our God, then he's going to love us. And that's the way it works. We know him, we love him, he loves us. We are the people of God. That is us. And over somewhere there are them. And they're the people who, who do not know God and they do not love God. God loves us, God judges them. And they get what they deserve. We get what we deserve. We are God's favorite people. And then over here are the other people. And you see, it's been that way for thousands of years. It, it even goes into our thinking today. Here in America, the church around the world, to be honest, not just in America, we think it's us and it is them. And, and so first we want to know God. So once a week we come into a place where we're told God lives. It's God's house, right? And so we go into God's house and we sing songs about God because we're his people, he's our God. And, and then somebody tells us about God, so now we know God better. And we leave thinking that we have fulfilled our purpose as the people of God. That's what we're here to do. And no, it is not our purpose. It is our identity. And for thousands of years, we have confused our identity as the people of God with our purpose. 
We think that it is all about us and them. We're God's people and they are not. But what I want to show you is that that misunderstanding has been missed since the beginning of Scripture. I'm going to take you through a couple of passages here, and we're going to start as far back as Genesis. That's the beginning, everybody. So we sometimes have the idea, salvation and forgiveness, it all started with Jesus, and that was all after the world was a big mess. It's like plan B, except it's not. Check this out in Genesis 12 too. Here's what God told his people. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and... You will be a blessing to others. As we go through these passages, and I'm going to hit several of them very, very quickly, I'm going to underline two words every way through it. I'm always going to underline the word and because the word and says there's more than what you just read. There's purpose beyond what you just read. There is more. And then we're going to underline the word that. If you're ever reading the Bible and God says something and then says that, that's the why. Why did you give us this? Why did you tell us this? Why did you make us like this? That is the why, whatever comes after that. So we're going to underline those two words. In Isaiah 42, God told his people, I, the Lord, have called you for a righteous purpose. That's good news. Thank you, God. What is it? To be a covenant for the people, his people, and a light to the nations. It's not just about my people. It's not just about you. It's about everybody else on planet Earth. Matter of fact, so that they have a chance to become my people. Isaiah 49 it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel. Wait a minute, really? Raising up all your people and discipling them and helping them worship you? You tell me that's too light a thing? There should be more? Actually, yes, I will make you as a light for the nations. Why, God? That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Like from the beginning, we haven't even got to the New Testament. God is saying, it's not just about you. It's not just about my people. That's your identity? It is not your purpose. Acts 26 tells us the Messiah would suffer and is the first to rise from the dead. He would bring the message of light to his own people, the Jews, and to the Gentiles. The Bible in, the, in that time uses the words Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were the people of God. The Gentiles were not the people of God. When you and I read it today, we can simply put in the words believers and non-believers. So we're called to the non-believers. Matter of fact, 1 Peter says, but you and I... You and I, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Thank you, God. What a great gift. That, that was our identity, everybody. On the other side of the that is the purpose. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into light. So that we can bring other people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then Jesus, he told his disciples, Go! <laughs> he just started right at that point. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's why you're here. I'm going to go back to heaven, and I'm going to leave you here. And it's not just because you're my people. That's your identity. I'm leaving you here for a purpose. And then in Acts 1, 8, the last thing Jesus said to his disciples, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. It's always been about us. Except it's about us being here to reach them, period. We turned our identity into our purpose. Imagine doing that in any other arena of your life. You show up at work, you sit down and you do nothing. Excuse me, you're not doing your job. Sure I am, I'm an employee. Husband or wife comes home, sits on the couch, does nothing. Well, you're not, you're not very helpful. Sure I am. I'm your husband. I'm your wife. 
Y'all don't read too much into that one. You're going to get some marriages in trouble in the room today. Our children do this very well, don't they? Could you do the dishwasher? What? I thought being your child was the whole reason I exist. It's good that we laugh at ourselves because now we need to take a moment and realize God is up in heaven saying, yeah, being my children is not the whole reason I left you on earth. That's who you are, not why you're there. That's why we do this series every year because truth is we need to hear it more than once a year to be reminded we're on the earth for a reason. And if we could ever get this as a, as a group, as the church, everybody take a minute and just look around. No, I meant that. Don't look at me. Look at everyone else. You see, the people that you just looked at are the people that we share the mission with. That what if all of us that just looked at each other realized that everyone else out there needs to know the love of God? And he gave us, us, the very purpose. Not just to come into this room once a week and to sing songs and to hear about them. Don't misunderstand, by the way. That is a great thing to do. Please continue doing that because that is where we get to know God. That is where the people of God come together. And I assure you, he loves to hear his children come together and praise his name. It would be like you going to your grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. It's a great blessing to them, but it's not your purpose. This is not our purpose. This is what we get to do to be together as a family. And if we can get this, then we have to answer the question, why do you and I individually run from our Nineveh? And the answers are gonna be different for every one of us. I'll share with you a few that I've come across quite often as a pastor. The first one, the words are gonna be a little harsh, so forgive me, but Sometimes we're as arrogant as Jonah was. Well, we are the people of God. And uh, what those people are doing is their choice. It's not my fault. I mean, after all, they're welcome to come on in if they wanted to. There's an empty seat. We would make room for them. I mean, gosh forbid, I might even stand up and let them have mine if it came down to it. I mean, if they really wanted to come, truth is most of them probably own a Bible was given to them at one point in life. There's one in every hotel they could at least read. They drive by these buildings every day on the way to work. Please, it's not my fault that they are them and they are over there. I, I'm one of God's people. I'm just trying to, to be a good child of God. It's the same problem that the people of God have had forever. We forget that we are us to reach them. Maybe your reason is you're a little afraid. We just finished our global outreach series. I'm sorry, we just finished our Beatitude series last week. And the very last thing that Jesus told us in those set of statements was you will be, not may, you will be reviled. And so we're, we're maybe a little afraid to talk to those people. Maybe you were young and you were excited you were getting baptized and you went and told your favorite teacher and invited them to church that weekend, but they gave you a strange look and then they didn't come. Maybe you got a little older and in high school you invited some of your, your closest friends to come to youth group with you and they told you they thought you were weird and they hung out with you a little less. So then you grow up and you tell your boss you're praying for him and about an hour later someone from Human Resources stops by your desk remind you that that's not appropriate to discuss in the workplace. Jesus didn't say you might be. He said you would be. 
The question is, how are we going to respond? Are we, are we going to be like Jonah and be afraid of what the Ninevites might do to us? Maybe sometimes it's just because we're so preoccupied. Could we just be honest? We're, we're very self-focused. There's so much going on in our own lives. Sometimes we don't even see. We were to think about what we think about. We think about going to work and our jobs and our deadlines and all that we've got to get done and, and getting the children to this Little League game and remembering that birthday and getting to this party and buying that. And our prayers are, are the same. Our prayers are always, God, I need this. I need you to heal me. I need a job. Uh, God, can you, you know, my aunt's sick and, and can you heal my aunt and, and all these different things. And, and if we would stop and ask, how often do we pray for the people we know? We wave to them every day at the mailbox. We work beside them. We go to school with them. We live next door. How often do we say, God, I'm sick, but I know you got me. Hey, I'm praying for my neighbor. The truth is we just get a little self-focused. And, and by that, please do not, do not think I'm telling you to stop asking God to do things in your life. He loves you. You're his child. He wants to bless you. He gave himself names in scripture for how he wants to provide for you. He wants to heal you. He wants to win your battles. Those are the names he gave to his children. Please don't throw that out. Let's just bring up our focus on the other people. Just increase the number of times we say their name before God and ask him, hey God, I'm going to heaven. Would you make sure Bob that lives next door comes with me? Hey, God, would you open an opportunity that, that he may actually ask something about you and, and it would just be so easy? So as we close this first part of our series, we, we just have one very, very simple point today that I, I hope we got across. You have a purpose. Just like Jonah, you've been called to change the eternal destinies of the people around you. That's it. We have a four-part vision here at Grace Life, and the last two of them are what we're talking about. One of them is you make a difference. You were created to make a difference. God put something inside of you to change the world. And then when we bring that together and realize who we are, then we do reach our world, make a difference and reach our world. And that's, that's what this is all about. We want to bring those two things together. But see, here's the, the reality is, you will never make a difference as great as changing someone's eternal destiny. I promise you. And I'm not making light of what you do. I hope that you have chosen a career field where you know that you are making a difference and you know that God is using your gifts. Matter of fact, I love to teach, as you can tell. I'm teaching the Bible at the moment, but I love to teach. And so before I did this, I taught music in school for 11 years. I loved to teach. It's what I always wanted to do because I wanted to make a difference in someone's life. I, I believe that I could be a bright light in these students' days. And personally, I think music is valuable. It has a great place in Scripture as well. And so I thought, man, if I can bring music in, into the lives of young people and, and help them, there's all kinds of science I happen to believe about the impact of music on the, the development of the mind, and I'm not going to go there. I just want you to know that I did it because I believed I was making a difference. And one day I was teaching band class and 
One of my students asked a question, and you know, well, they always ask questions. I wasn't expecting the direction of this question. I thought it would be a musical question. And so uh, they just raised their hand as a little trombone player on the third row. And in the middle of class, they, they asked a question. And so since the question caught me off guard, my answer caught me off guard. I said it before I realized what I'd even said. They said, Mr. Currents, what, what's up with you? You're different. You treat us differently. And I just said, well, I could teach you to play F-sharp on the trumpet, and you could still die and go to hell. You see, you may be a nurse, and you know that you are making someone's life better at a moment that they need that. You may be a doctor because you want to make a difference. People would literally die and go to heaven earlier without you. I'm not saying those things don't matter. What I'm saying is that nothing makes as great a difference as when your next door neighbor, when someone at your family reunion, when someone at school changes their eternal destiny because you realize you were left here for a purpose. Your identity is not your purpose. It's who you are, not why you're here. And so one of the things we love to do is to celebrate what God has done through Grace Life and, and through you and in the world around us. And so if you uh, came into the building today on your seat, was a global outreach pamphlet just celebrating some of the things we've done if you're online you can find that on our website for you to look at i'm not going to read that to you right now you can take that home and you can check it out i do just want to close by celebrating three statistics three numbers that represent great things in my opinion that are not in that brochure and the first one is that over the last year through our worship services here the people who are willing to actually come and tell us and ask us to pray with them so it's a pretty conservative number in my opinion uh, the number of people who declared jesus to be their king and wanted to go to heaven was 178 people can we celebrate life change in this place in that same period of time we had 44 people who were baptized, telling the world who they are and that Jesus is now their king. Now, I don't know about you, but I notice. That is cool, thank you. That is great to celebrate. But I noticed there's a great discrepancy between those two numbers. And I just want to encourage you, if you're, if you're in between those two numbers, if you're the 45 through 178, has a little bit to do with our American concept. Again, we confuse our identity and our purpose. So as soon as we know we're forgiven and going to heaven, we, we think we're good. It's our private relationship with God. We don't know our place in the church. We don't know our place making a difference in the world. And we, we, we just kind of stop sometimes. And I want to encourage you, if you've made Jesus your king, but you haven't made that public through baptism, and one of the things that you've missed out on is telling the whole world, hey, you can expect something different from me. Feel free to, to look for it. But you're also missing out on the opportunity to invite your next door neighbor and your lost cousin and your lost coworker to come and watch you and maybe they also end up making Jesus their king. And the last number I wanna celebrate with you is that out of the offerings, tithes and offerings that we receive here, it does not all stay in house. So in the past year, $280,855.22 have left this building and what we're doing here to reach across the street and around the world. And that I think is worth celebrating as well. Yeah. So we do that one reason for you, for accountability, for you to know where your finances are going and, and the difference that it's making. That's gone to Jerusalem. It's gone to the Middle East. It's gone to Africa. It's it just, it's all, I can't even begin to keep up with the list. It's also gone right here because those 178 people do matter. Um, 
but that 280,000, that wasn't even a part of that. That all leaves these walls. It leaves what we're doing. We, we don't hire staff with it. We, we don't build walls. We don't buy computers. All of that is for missions. And I just want to thank you for being a generous church because I can't do this. I can't talk to 178 people. I, I can't give $280,000. This is a moment where you need to realize you are a part of something bigger than you. And you are making a difference that is bigger than you. God put us here for a purpose, not our identity. Let's not mistake who we are with why we get to wake up every single day. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you have called us your children, that you did save us, and you put us here for great purpose. We thank you that you've loved us and you've blessed us. And today we have to confess to you that our hearts do not break for the things that break yours. So God, we just ask you, would you do that work in us? Would you help us to see the people that are all around us in our Nineveh? The people that are lost and hurting while we're asleep in the ship. God, wake us up. Open our eyes. Let us make a difference in reaching this world. If you're just staying in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. As we've pointed to this entire message, every one of us has done something that was ungodly, that was unlike God. Matter of fact, it was actually offensive to his perfectly holy nature. The Bible calls that sin. And the problem is, you and I, we can't deal with our sin on our own. We could pay for it, and that'd be the end of it. It'd be eternal punishment. But because God loves us, he sent Jesus, his son, to live a perfect life so that when he died, his bloodshed, his body broken, could pay for your sins. You could be forgiven. We call it the free gift of salvation. And then because Jesus was raised from the dead, you too can receive eternal life in heaven, fellowship with God, right with him. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that right now wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. My simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with those people? Amen.